0: To Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald, flying solo here on Friday, August 21st, and doing a little house cleaning. I've, uh, in recent weeks, been sitting down with um, candidates for mayor, for city council, for state representative, and uh, I'm going through a. Uh, if you're just tuning into this episode, um, I've released a couple already this week. Um, Including a conversation with House District 16, Democratic candidate Brandon Potter, as well as Democratic mayoral candidate Maria Bucci. Um, now I have a few interviews uh, that I, I felt it was important to get uh, out the door here as the primary nears. I've sat down in recent weeks with three of the four uh, Democratic candidates for citywide seats on the city council. Um, they include Dylan Zolazo, Larry Warner, and Jessica Marino. Uh, those are the three I've had a chance to speak with. The fourth candidate, uh, school committee member, and former Ward 3 councilman, Paul Arquetto, did reach out to Paul, and uh, he has declined at this point to, to speak. He said he wanted to wait until after the primary. So uh, apologies to voters um, and listeners who uh, wanted to hear from Paul, um, but we did reach out. And uh, um, Anyway... To move on, the first of these uh, three back-to-back-to-back interviews with citywide council candidates, uh, we're going to start with Dylan Zalazo, who uh, he's, he's, uh, uh works as the director of administration for the city of Pawtucket. Um, he's got a young family. Um, his pitch is around his experience in government and, uh, you know, day-to-day working um, within the city of Pawtucket um, and what he brings to the table there. So. We had a good conversation. Uh, he was very generous with his time. It was great to meet Dylan and speak with him. Um, so uh, without further ado, we'll go to my conversation with Dylan and then uh, check back um, immediately after this for uh, some other uh, my, my sit-downs with uh, Jessica Marino and Larry Warner as well. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Nice to meet you. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things and I appreciate your coverage. Local news is really important. Oh,
0: thank you much. To start off, can you uh, generally tell us a little bit about your background and why you're running for council?
1: Sure. So, um, I've actually wanted to work in local government since I was a freshman in high school, which I know is kind of an odd thing, but uh, my town manager called up. I was on the student council uh, and asked if, you know, somebody wanted to go to Connecticut Conference of Municipalities with him. And, I was the little freshman in the back of the room with my hand up. And so I went and I developed a relationship with him. I I went to a couple more events with him while I was in high school. And I asked him, you know, how does one do this for a living? And he said, go get your master's degree in uh, public administration. So that was kind of the path I set myself on. I went to Providence College, undergrad. I got my bachelor's in political science. They have a minor in public administration. So I minored in public administration and business administration while I was there. Um, I met my wife uh, while I was at Providence College, and uh, when I graduated, we moved out to Indiana for two years. I went to Indiana University to get my master's, uh, concentrating in local government management. Um, Then we moved back to Rhode Island. Uh, While I was out in Indiana, my parents became the first people in the history of time to retire to Rhode Island. Uh, We'll get them in the Guinness Book of World Records someday. Um, But, uh, you know, family's here. My in-laws live here in Warwick, and uh, my parents are in North Kingstown, so, you know, it's great with uh, the boys. I have two young sons, five and three, Um, and so it's a big help to have family, local, obviously, but Rhode Island's really been home for me ever since I went to PC, and uh, it's been home for my wife uh, her whole life. So uh, we love it here. We, we, when we saved up to buy our home, we chose to live in Cranston because we thought it was a great community to raise a family in. Um, and so I want to be a part of keeping Cranston a place where people want to move and, and raise a family and you know build a future. So um, I've always wanted to be in local government. Um, I'm currently the director of administration for the city of Pawtucket. Um, Mayor Grabian hired me uh, in 2013 I've worked in various capacities in his office, communications, constituent services, chief of staff, uh, now uh, director of administration for the last couple of years. So uh, in my day job, I do municipal budgets, contract negotiations, uh, you know, day-to-day operations, oversee departments, everything but public safety, um, and you know, I really love the work. It's an odd thing to be you know, passionate about, but I really am. Uh, and I wanted to run here in Cranston because I want to put my municipal government experience to work for the community that I live in sure. I think I can I can help make a difference I you know it's a little cliche but I really think I'm qualified to to do the job and you know I'm asking people to vote for me based off of that.
0: yeah I wanted to ask more about that because that experience kind of stands out in the field you know the, the kind of municipal government experience you have and especially on a council that's going to have, a pretty good amount of turnover the next term, uh, term. How do how do you see your municipal government work translating to the work of a council?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it it certainly helps, right? It's it's uh, it's great training, and you know I I I do it uh, every day, right? So um, it's on the executive branch side. You know I'm not uh, certainly on the legislative side yet. Hopefully I, I'm fortunate enough to be elected, but. I work with the city council in Pawtucket on a daily basis. Um, there's some really good city councilors uh, in Pawtucket that I've been able to learn from, um, and uh, you know this balance between um, you know there certainly are checks and balances, but the executive branch and the and the council should work uh, hand in hand in a lot of ways. Um, and I think I bring that. I think I bring that ability from day one. So you're right. Um, five of the nine city councilors uh, are turning over. The three citywide are obviously vacating their spots to run for mayor. Uh, Paul McCauley in the second, and uh, Favicchio in the in the six are also are also leaving. So a majority of the council will be brand new. Um, that means that I think the voters have uh, some real thought to give behind. Uh, Who are going to fill those seats, and um, hopefully they see my experience as something that helps uh, move the council forward. It will be a very new council. I think I can help. Um, You know, but all the candidates have uh, things that make them you know qualified to be city councilors, and I'm sure the voters are going to make that analysis.
0: A little tangent. Do you think the the council's in good hands with the folks that are going to be sticking around the the four that are uh, running opposed?
1: I do. I, I mean, w- one thing is uh, somewhat the proof's in the pudding, right? Nobody's running against any of those four. Um, so I think, that, you know, they're all ward counselors. You know, clearly nobody in, in their wards felt they really needed to be challenged. And so I'd say that's a, that's a big endorsement of them just from the people that live there. Um, I'm very friendly with Lamas Vargas. And the first, she and I actually worked together. She used to work in Mayor Grebian's office when I, when I started working there. Um, so she's very supportive of my candidacy. Um, I've been very supportive of her uh, and, and I respect the job she's doing in the, in the first. Um, John Donegan, uh you know, is, is, this is his first term. Um, and I think he's, he's doing well in the third. The, the splash pad is a very interesting initiative that he's pushing. Um, you know, Councilman Brady has a small business. Um, you know, he, I think, you know, always balances when I when I watch the council or I read your articles. He tries to balance various perspectives. I think very well. And uh, Councilman Poposkis, if I mispronounced his last name, I apologize. Oh, you people people mispronounce my name all the time, so <laughs> I'm always careful on that. Um, you know, I, I hear I hear nothing but good things about him too. I've met him a few times, um, just kind of in my day-to-day life, and you know, he seems like he seems like a a good person who's in it for the right reasons, and so. Yeah, I think uh, I'd be fortunate to work with work with them, and um, yeah, I think uh, I think the council is in good hands uh, with them, and hopefully with uh, you know five strong new councillors as well.
0: Period. Actually, it's a, uh, you've you've received the endorsement of a few members of the, the legislative delegation from the, the city. Is that it? Just strikes me you know, and you've also received the backing of the city committee. Um, legislative endorsements—is that you think because of your role in in Pawtucket? Is that you, know, have you built those kind of relationships because
1: of that? A little bit. So, um, Senator Miller, I've interacted with um, up at the State House because you know we've had some pretty high-profile things happen in Pawtucket since you know I've been in the office. The Paw Sox, obviously, being one of the big ones. Uh, more recently, the uh, soccer development on the river. Um, those things have brought me up to the state house. So I, I've, I've built relationships and interacted with folks up there. They've also been able to see me work and, you know, I think um, they work in this field on a day to day basis too. And so you get to get the read of someone based off of, uh, off of that. And I, 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 think they've seen that I'm in it for the right reasons. Uh, I care deeply about making a positive difference and, um, so yeah, that I've developed relationships uh, with Senator Miller that way. Uh, senator Gallo is my senator; she lives a couple streets away, so I've interacted with her, um, you know, when she's been campaigning. Um, so I have a little bit more of that relationship with her. But same thing, right? I've interacted with her at the state house. I think she's gotten to see uh, my work. Uh, Bob Jackard uh, is my sta- sitting state rep. He lives a couple streets away. His wife also happens to work with my wife. Full disclosure, so. You know, there's more of a relationship there, um, but but Bob uh, Bob puts a lot of work in uh, to his job as a as a state rep, and so we've sat on issues in the past, and so I think he's gotten to develop an appreciation for me, just like I have with him. Sure. Um, and then Rep. Malay, I'd say the same. I'd say the same thing. Uh, he lives relatively close to me. We've interacted a number of times, even though he's not my actual state rep. Uh, he works hard and he cares about the area, so I've interacted with him in that manner. Um you know, and i've also interacted with them at the state House, so you know i've also been endorsed by former mayor john o'Leary uh former council vice president uh Paula McFarland mm-hmm. also my campaign treasurer uh Lamas Vargas has endorsed me Cranston Democrats you said, and um Rhode Island now yes. uh, recently endorsed me as well so yeah I'm, I'm I'm happy to have those endorsements i think it I, I think it speaks to um who I am and and their opinion that you know I would be an effective uh, counselor so yeah it's a it's a positive thing I'd say.
0: To turn to uh, some of the big issues facing the the city right now Um, one thing I've been asking folks about the school budget is probably from a financial standpoint the biggest looming uncertainty Um, there's this roughly four million dollar Democrats on the council are working on a resolution asking the assembly to, to fully fund that. You know, I know by the time you take office where you to win, you know, there'll be some resolution on this, I guess. But looking forward, this issue of school funding has kind of become, um, has kind of come up in the mayoral race. It's come up in, in some sparring between the mayor and the speaker. Um, and, and just given everything that the district is facing, you know, what what would your approach be? What's your kind of take on this
1: yeah, I mean this year's budget in particular is a real challenge due to COVID, um, and there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, state revenues are more um, dependent on economic activity, right? You have sales tax, income tax. If people aren't working or people aren't buying things, you know, you have less revenue to to use. So I understand why that cut in the budget was made I, I disagreed with it at the time I still disagree with it um, uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty relative to school operations as well you know so that four million dollars could be plus it could be minus depending on if we're not busing students or if we're providing twice the buses you know so so the school budget I think is a is a massive issue the city's budget is one as well yeah. right um, that's where I think my budget experience comes into play. I think, you know, one way or another, yes, there will be some certainty surrounding the state's budget, um, but come January when new counselors are being sworn in, there will be a lot of uncertainty still surrounding local revenues. Um, So I'd say I bring, I think, to the table from day one, the ability to be flexible and be creative and and apply best practices to that. Um, Overall, I'd say I'm fairly confident that the general assembly delegation from Cranston has prioritized funding for our schools uh, in recent years, and will continue to do so. You know, again, Senator Gallo is a huge champion for public education. Senator Miller as well, and uh, I think on the on the rep side as well. Uh, you know, the local funding of schools um, has remained relatively consistent. The state funding of schools has grown uh, pretty significantly. I think that is something that clearly has been a priority of our General Assembly delegation. They have to balance a lot in uh, this budget, but I'm fairly confident that they'll do that. Um, So I appreciate the the resolution that the Democrats are working on, um, but I know know that there's a lot of challenges that the General Assembly is facing, and I'm confident that they'll prioritize uh, education funding because they have in the past. They have a track record there. Um, if they don't, right? If they're not able to fund that, then we've got to figure out a way, working with the school committee and the superintendent um, and the new mayor, whomever that is, uh, to solve those problems. That's why, that's why we all run is to, whatever problem it is, you got to figure out a way to solve it, and the best way to do that is to collaborate.
0: Do you, uh, do you share the concerns that have been expressed by some council members about the budget plan for the city that was? proposal has you know, unrealistic revenue projections and just kind of your thoughts on, on where we're heading there
1: yeah so I, there's so many facets that go into a budget and it's a snapshot in time right so as soon as it gets passed it's wrong in some way shape or form um, but for the most part you build that based off of your best guess right and you know so your, your snow budget for instance is, is likely a you know average of your last few years and so your revenues are typically based off of your experience as well. Now, some of those um, meals and beverage, for instance, are going to be impacted negatively by COVID. It just is true. Um, property taxes, though, are far and away our largest source of revenue. Um, and that's a relatively predictable, um, continuous revenue stream. Um, so I'd say that. The mayor's administration, for the most part, I think, has done a pretty strong job of building budgets and managing two budgets. Um, But anytime you're dealing with the transition of administration, that's a major concern, right? And so any variation there in the first six months when it's under the current administration can really put the new administration at a deficit if there's not good continuity there. So I think the biggest piece of that is making sure that the transition team Whomever is successful in the mayor's race is working closely with Mayor Fung's administration to make sure that that transition goes well. And you got to be tracking those from day one. You know, if if we're concerned about meals and beverage, we got to be tracking that and saying where are we after this month and where are we after next month. And okay, if we're ten, 20 percent below where we thought we'd be and where we budgeted, where are we going to come up with that? Um, in in Pawtucket, where I work, um, we. Uh, put some employees on the Workshare program with the state um, so that was a two day a week furlough for um, the months of June July and August um, so we're working at roughly 60% staff uh, in many departments um, that savings though will help offset some of those challenges moving forward um, and we were looking at having to do layoffs if we didn't uh, have that program at our disposal so we were able to save some dollars that way. I think uh, you know it's incumbent upon Mayor Fung's administration here at the tail end, uh, and then the new the new mayor's administration, along with the council, to look at those types of programs and others, and try to come up with ways to save money. Uh, it was great that they didn't raise taxes this year, but taxes are still high enough to begin with, and, um, you know, I think the taxpayers put faith in our elected officials to solve those problems without coming to them every time, Uh, and I think people are willing to pay more taxes, but need to know that every other option was exhausted, and so there's a lot to be looked at here in the next year to make sure that that budget's in a good place. Sure.
0: We were chatting uh, a little bit about this before we started recording, but uh, the return to school, the looming reopening of school, and, the uncertainty that's there as well what are, what are you hearing from folks out on the on the trail from families and, and what are your thoughts on uh, how that process should proceed
1: yeah i mean there, there's a lot of concern right and, and people want to know that their children are safe and that they're the teachers for their children are safe you know so that's that's priority number one um always is safety um but yeah people are concerned that they might not be able to go back to work um they need to arrange for childcare. Quite frankly, education is social. You benefit so much from that interaction in the classroom. Um, And so distance learning uh, is better than no learning, but obviously you lose some of that interpersonal interaction. And there's social learning, emotional learning, as well as academic learning that takes place in the classroom. And so, you know, I have a five-year-old who's Going to be entering kindergarten this year it's it's very near and dear to my heart um, so i'm concerned about it i know a lot of people are i was talking to um, a mother of uh, a boy that's also going to be entering uh, kindergarten and uh, his school is the one that's slated for um, one of the big reconstruction projects and so potentially have this year which is going to be somewhat challenging uh, with distance learning and potentially other things and then next year right he's going to have to move schools while that construction happens so there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of you know potential disruption for you know young minds that are trying to develop and so i think you know education is right at the top of my priority list for a lot of reasons Um, it really dictates how good your school system is dictates how desirable your community is to people that will want to live there and stay there right and so you want to have the best school system possible and so you know I think again it's incumbent upon the City Council the mayor superintendent school committee and the employees to kind of work together and make sure we're making those decisions as best they can be and it's an unprecedented thing so people are people are not making it up on the fly there's a lot of planning taking place but it's new to everybody. And so having those discussions, asking questions, getting different perspectives really matters now because you don't have that institutional knowledge. Nobody's done COVID-19 before, yeah.
0: you know. Switching gears uh, a little bit, development, the issue of development is kind of an ongoing debate and discussion in the city. There was a big flash point last year with the, the debate over solar farms in Western Cranston. Now we have this Mulligan's Island Costco development, that's going to be a, a big concern for a lot of folks. Um, I guess I'd ask you, know what, what are your views on the, the administration's record on this stuff and, and where do you hope the city goes in the next few years?
1: Economic development is is critical to the city in a lot of ways. First and foremost is from a tax-based perspective, right? So you know again we talked about property taxes before in Rhode Island we are so reliant at the local level on property taxes it's you know somewhere 80 to 90 percent of your revenue at the local level is is property taxes and basically every new dollar of revenue is property taxes and so costs go up you have collective bargaining agreements you have utilities you have infrastructure you need to reinvest in so where you come up with that revenue matters and again you don't want it to be increasing property taxes on residential or commercial existing taxpayers as much as possible so one way to supplement that is to grow your tax base Um, other revenue streams are important to that conversation as well but specific to economic development we're talking about you know making sure that our commercial properties in the city are as active as they can be so you know there are places where there are vacant storefronts how do we how do we help solve that problem um, and government doesn't create private sector jobs it creates the environment for the private sector to create those jobs right so some of that's taxes a lot of that's quality infrastructure um, having a good school system so you have people that want to move there and you have good property values all of that matters Um, so I'd say that from an economic development perspective I believe very strongly that we need to be a business friendly city Um, that means that our planning and zoning processes need to be as streamlined as possible you've got to be flexible Um, and you got to send a message to businesses that you want them here so The Costco uh, one's a perfect example. I've met with the neighbors over uh, in that Oak Hill Terrace neighborhood a few times now. I went to the community meeting they had the other night, um, but I spoke with a number of neighbors prior, uh, and a lot of them share the perspective that they wanna see economic development happen in the city. They'd love to have the convenience of a Costco, but, and I would encourage anybody that's kind of interested in this issue that hasn't, drive, from Chapel View down Route 2 there, and you go from Chapel View under the highway to the state offices. You got the National Guard on the other side. Then you've got this Mulligan's Island really green space, right buffer, and then the neighborhood. Um, and and people are rightfully concerned over there that what was kind of this nice gradation of uses that then leads up to a neighborhood is now going to be one of the biggest box stores possible, you know, within 50 feet of their, of their property lines. And so, you know, there are, there are people who have young children who bedrooms will be abutting now, potentially a, a big box store with trash compactors and overnight deliveries. Uh, and I mean, literally you go there, you stand in one of their backyards and you know, they bought their house in no small part because they have this nice, quiet, uh, backyard and that there's no way there's no way that you could put yourself in the shoes of one of those individuals and say yeah they definitely should have known that there could be a, a Costco in their backyard in 10 years when they bought their house right so that's the balance right and some of that comes down to zoning uh and and being intelligent about that and and making sure that those processes are taking place and we're reviewing those things that's a interesting zoning over there it's the same zoning actually as Chapel View Um, that's that um, mixed-use development um, plan zone and so uh, that really falls now on the decision of the council you know the council has a lot of authority here to say whether or not that can fly Um, personally again I've talked to a lot of people all over the city that say I'd love to have a Costco right it's got a good reputation it's very convenient Um, that's not the right place for it. And, and I, think, I think it's impossible. So, you know, the NIMBYism thing gets thrown out a lot. That's fair and true in a lot of circumstances that um, you could have predicted or known, or you should have known that that's a use that could happen right next door to you. There's no way that, I mean, this used to be a cornfield way back in the day. Now it's Mulligan's Island. Um, there's no way that in, I think, anybody's reasonable mind you would say, I've got this here today. Tomorrow it could be a Costco, and so you know I think that's the balance. Is um, there's definitely places where um, development needs to happen, and there's definitely places where where you know it, it shouldn't. And the the intensity of use matters, right? And so. Um, I've spoken to a few of the City Councilors. I personally am of the perspective, and I know some of them are as well, that that's just not the right place for a Costco. The challenge I have with that perspective, even my own, is I don't want to send the perspective to Costco or any other potential business that's considering Cranston that we're not open for business. There needs to be a balance here and we need to figure out if, if this is something that people want here in Cranston and they want to be here in Cranston, how do we do that and where are the potential places uh, to locate them? I don't know that answer and you know I don't pretend to have all the answers, yeah. right but I think that's something that this council is going to have to work on and potentially into the next council, right They've got a, a tour later in August, yeah, mid-August. And uh, you know, in theory, this uh, this issue is coming before the council sometime September, October. So, uh, it may be over and done with by the time I'm on the council. But one way or another, that's a real conversation that needs to take place. Is if, if this is something where the business wants to be in Cranston, and something where Cranston wants the business, if that's not the right place for them, where is? And, and how do you make that happen? And so, you know. I'm a local government nerd. I I love this stuff. So it's something that I kind of get excited about rolling my sleeves up and doing. But yeah, there's a lot of concerns over there and I think they're very justified.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it unfolds in the next couple months. But uh, to switch gears again a little bit,
1: Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a multifaceted issue, right? And so, uh, and it's not it's not something that happens overnight either. We we struggle with this uh, in my day job in Pawtucket. You know, it, we have very similar conversations. In, in a lot of ways, Rhode Island cities are very similar, and in a lot of ways, they're very different, right? Pawtucket's less than nine square miles, very densely populated throughout the city. Um, you know, Cranston has much more density on the east side of the city than on the west side of the city. Um, And those things all factor in. But for the most part, on on the diversity issue, um, there needs to be a concerted effort across the community to... It's a challenge, I think, right now, for anybody to decide to be a police officer or a firefighter. We do recruitments regularly. I've heard similar things from... um, people in the administration here in Cranston that uh, you don't get the level of applicants that you used to and I don't mean qualification wise I mean numbers sheer numbers and so that's something that I think everybody has an interest in increasing right you want as many people applying for your jobs as possible so that you can get the most qualified and if that's the case you're going to get more minority applicants just like you're gonna get more white applicants because you're growing that pool Um, how you do that is, is a challenge, but I think it's a concerted regional effort. I don't think this is a Cranston specific issue. I don't think it's a Pawtucket specific issue where I work. You know, Providence all the way down to, you know, Westerly, if, if everybody's focused on diversifying your workforce, we need to think about and be intentional about how we interact with that applicant pool, both presently and in the future. Um, you know, my kids watch Paw Patrol, want to be firefighters because you know you got Marshall running around. You know, I think most kids watch Paw Patrol type things and say, "Yeah, I'd love to be a firefighter when they're five. Yeah. Well, what? And I was talking to a firefighter last night. Uh, actually, he wanted to be a firefighter his whole life. Something reinforced that for him. That's not happening for some uh, groups of our youth, and that's across all racial spectrums. But very clearly. There needs to be a continued focus there, and I think that benefits everybody. So I'd like to see more events in schools where the police are coming to visit and interact with students to get them on a path towards that career. Same with fire. Same with teachers, by the way. You interact with your teacher on a day-to-day basis because that's your teacher. But how often do you talk about, like, this is a potential career path for me and, you know, at least when I was in school, there were some friends of mine who wanted to be teachers. They had those conversations. I don't think I ever once had a conversation like that with one of my teachers is, you know, what got you on this career path? Why did you want to be a teacher? Why do you think it's a good career path for me to consider? And, and if we want our kids, um, whether they're black, white, it doesn't matter. If we want them to pursue those careers, if that's important to us as a community, I think that's where that conversation starts if there are additional barriers to that that I'm not aware of then we need to address those too, because that's not acceptable and so I but to me um, I'm aware of the challenges of getting large applicant pools because we struggle with it as well in Pawtucket and and it's certainly something that we want to do better at we interact with uh, the NAACP we've got a active Cape Verdean community in Pawtucket and so uh, we interact with them regularly. Progressive Latino is another one, uh, and they help us share our job opportunities. But when you get an applicant pool and it doesn't get you the candidates that you're looking for, that's a problem. And so I think there's a concerted effort that needs to be made in the short and in the long term to grow that applicant pool. Um, and ideally, right, you'd have that coming from your local area. But that's not always gonna be the case. And so, again, I think that's why it's a regional approach. Uh, if your goal is to diversify your workforce, um, it can't be just a local focus. It needs to be more than that. And that needs to be a partnership across municipalities and across the state. Yeah, that's a really
0: interesting idea. I haven't heard it approached like that before. Thank you. Um, I guess I'll call this a quick lightning round in addition to uh, the local city council and Bond questions and ballot questions this year for voters. Uh, the school bond, the biggest one, $147 million for, as you touched on some major construction projects, that's something you're supporting?
1: Very much so. Yeah, I've been a part of uh, a couple major bond initiatives in Pawtucket for the schools. Um, and you start seeing the proof in the pudding, right? We've been able to redo a couple of schools completely. Uh, we just leveled a school that's going to be you know, a brand new STEAM school, STEM depending on if you throw arts in there or not. Um, you know I think, again, there's nothing more important to our future as a community than our school system, and we need to be investing in it. I think it's long overdue. I'm happy to see it happening. It definitely has my support, and I want to see more. There's also this
0: climate bond, much smaller in in scope, $5 million, but supporters say it will provide a a really vital tool for energy improvements and efficiency and stuff like that in municipal buildings. Is that something?
1: Yeah, I'm hoping to learn more about that in the in the coming weeks. Uh, I haven't seen enough details, to be honest with you. Um, and you're right, five million dollars is is a relatively small bond. Um, so so what you're getting for your money matters. But to in kind of the grand scheme of things, energy efficiency projects tend to somewhat pay for themselves in the savings that they that they they have. So I'd love to see that. Right? If we can show that that bond probably costs. Uh, five six hundred thousand dollars a year on debt service and we're saving close to that you know to you know on the back end with our energy costs that's a no-brainer um, if it's uh, something that doesn't make financial sense I think we got to dive into that because that's going to be on the ballot in November we got a couple months here to make that evaluation and you know the voters will make that decision there's also uh, four proposed
0: amendments to the city's charter um, a new ta- a new cap on property tax levy increases uh, the requirement for the rainy day fund um honestly i'm blanking on the other two right now but do you have you looked into the you have positions on these at this point yeah i
1: I, so the rainy day fund's really important um it helps with your bond rating um and and other things so i'm pretty supportive of the rainy day fund um proposal i don't agree with the local property tax cap one that's why we have a city council you're, you're essentially just taking authority away from the city council. If that's what the voters want, that's what the voters want, but um, whether it's 4% or 3%, and there are exceptions to the 3% as well, uh, it's, it's overly complex to me. I think that's why you elect the nine members of the city council to set the tax rate, and there already is that state property tax cap at 4%. Um, to me, it's redundant.
0: The other two, uh, new language about redistricting to avoid gerrymandering, I believe it was, and then also expanded veto authority for the mayor or the other two.
1: Yeah, so um, I don't think anybody is a big supporter of gerrymandering, you know. And um, to be honest with you, the 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 wards should be more defined by what makes a neighborhood as opposed to what makes electoral sense for whomever is making those decisions. So, you know, absolutely. That makes complete sense. Uh, veto power for the mayor, you know, there needs to be that check and balance. So the, the city council gets the mayor's budget proposal. They make a lot of changes. Um, and there does need to be that check and balance with the city council as well. I, I'm generally supportive of, um, a mayoral veto, uh, There probably will be times where that could, if I'm fortunate enough to be on the council, be something that's in conflict with the way that I vote. But that's part of good government is uh, you can't have a relationship where one branch of government has more or less power than the other. There needs to be that give and take. And so generally I think uh, an executive veto uh, power makes sense.
0: You might have some unique perspective on this one. Given your role in Pawtucket, but your thoughts on the, how the mayor and the governor have handled the COVID 19 crisis?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we've been right in the thick of things um, at the local level, and largely um, with the leadership of uh, the state, I think the response in Rhode Island has been pretty strong. Um, are there gaps? Absolutely. Um, but I think one of the roles of local government is to fill those gaps. Um, local governments are actually subdivisions of state government. You know nothing in the US Constitution establishes local governments. State governments make the calculation there should be things provided at a local level and thus they create local governments and so part of that is, you know the State Department of Health is our public health entity. They've set the tone and the direction and there are things that need to be executed at the local level um, to help so, You know, one thing we had in Pawtucket was um, people that don't speak English or don't absorb their information in English weren't getting the governor's message as quickly. Uh, And so we started putting out the information that the state was putting out in three other languages, Spanish, uh, Portuguese, and uh, Cape Verdean, Creole, um, depending on who you talk to. Um, and, And that's important because people armed with information can put those practices uh, you know, into place successfully. And so I'd say that in a large part, the state's done a pretty good job dealing with you know, an unprecedented issue, largely. Um, and I think that at the local level, filling in those gaps uh, is meaningful and matters. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be on uh, many calls with all the municipal leaders. Um, across the state Mayor Fung obviously actively participates in those and so I'd say you know um, for the most part I'd say I'm supportive of the way that the city's approached it the the fire department uh, and the police department in particular have had to deal with it uh, in a very significant way Um, and thankfully you haven't seen a high um, infection rate in our you know local workforce um, I also think you got to give a lot of credit to the schools, right? They, they closed down and had to distance learn like that, and, uh, and for the most part, didn't miss a beat. Um, so, I'd say overall, I, I'm, I'm pretty uh, impressed and amazed by how successful not just Cranston, but most of our local governments have been in, in helping the state advance this effort and again there's always going to be challenges and you know certain businesses now are struggling with you know complying with all the guidelines and things like that And it's i think incumbent on us to try to work with them as best we can if they're they they can not do those things that need to keep everybody safe then those have to be addressed but for the most part i think everybody wants to do the right thing and keep people safe and so you you, you help where you can yeah.
0: in terms of uh turning back to the campaign um are you supporting or
1: Yes. Yeah, there, there are three. Um, I haven't uh, spoken to Mr. Carbone yet, um, and uh, I've, I've had varying levels of conversation with the other two. I think, um, I think Maria Bucci is very qualified. Um, I, I've been impressed by her campaign. Um, she's been helpful of my campaign. Um, I haven't formally come out and endorsed either but I I, I certainly like what I'm seeing there I I respect greatly the work that uh, Councilman Stikos has done both on the school committee and on the City Council Um, I agree and disagree with both candidates on various issues Um, and so while I haven't yet I think that is something that's likely in the cards uh, endorsing one of the two Um, but I'd say that uh, one way or the other, I'd like to see, I'd like to see um, a positive campaign continue on the Democratic side. Uh, so far I've been impressed by the ability for both of them to run positive campaigns. Um, and you know, quite frankly, the, the candidates that are running for city council citywide too, have also been you know, very respectful. It's been a positive campaign so far on the Democratic side of this conversation. I'd like to see that continue. Um, and so I don't think anybody's benefited by division. And so that is something I'm currently grappling with is um, is how does that help or hurt this election cycle?
0: Yeah. I guess the last question, we're a little more than a month away now from the primary. What do the next few weeks look like? How are you going to approach the, the home stretch here with social distancing and everything?
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been uh, an incredibly challenging, uh, short, too, election cycle, right? And so on top of COVID-19, you've also had heat waves and large thunderstorms and things like that that make it challenging to do doors in the best of times. But with COVID-19 as well, you know, some people are apprehensive to, to answer the door. Some people are concerned about going to the polls. Other people really want to go to the polls and vote in person, and so... I think it's incumbent on everybody to try to help everyone balance that. Um, I sent out a letter to uh, a number of voters um, that hit on Monday, and I included a mail ballot application in that letter. So anybody that, anybody that wants to vote by mail should be able to. Um, and you got a couple weeks now here to, to get those applications in still. Um, so I, I dropped one off to somebody's house yesterday, so I think one of the things that is incumbent on all the candidates is try to help uh, people that aren't registered get registered there's about a week left there Um, and then if people want mail ballots help them through that process as well Um, i'm going to do as many doors as i can i'm going to go to as many events whatever that may be as i can to meet people i want to hear from them as well they need to meet me and i think when they meet me they'll see that i'm a person of integrity um, I'm honest, I'm trustworthy, um, I'm passionate about this job, and, and I think I would do a good job, and, you know, I, I know uh, what I'm talking about. And so, you know, competence is something that I think matters here as well. And so I think the more voters I can interact with and talk to, and so whether that's on the phone or at their doors or at, or at an event or via email, right, um, the best that we can do that. That's that's really the priority here over the next month.
0: Well, Dylan, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today, and good luck. Thank you. Radio Beacon is a production of Beacon Communications, publisher of the Warwick Beacon, Cranston Herald, Johnston Sunrise, and Coventry Reminder Newspapers. Find us online at warwickonline.com, cranstononline.com, johnstonsunrise.net. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at roadiebeat, R-H-O-D-Y-B-E-A-T. This podcast is hosted by Anchor Podcasts. Subscribe today on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or other podcast platforms.